HIPRA Connects, where we give a voice to those battling complex illnesses, challenging medical conditions, rare diseases, and the healthcare providers who treat them, as well as a support system that nurtures and sustains them. Hi, I'm Janice McRae, founder and CEO of Nexus 8 International. Our product, HIPRA, is a collaborative knowledge sharing tool for healthcare providers. We hope you find meaning in the following podcast. Hi, Lonnie. My name is Madiha. Thank you for being here and sharing on behalf of Little Hope Foundation. Um, uh, thank you. Of course. Um, before we get started, could you tell a bit about your background? Yeah, actually, well, so thank you, first of all, for having me. It's uh, always great to be able to talk about the foundation and the work that we're doing and uh, how we got started. So a little bit about my background. Um, I have a very varied background. Um, I, I could I fill you with hours of information because I've done a lot of things, but essentially uh, I was uh, heavily into big corporate. Um, my wife and I in 2002 were found out we were pregnant with identical twin daughters um, that were afflicted by a fetal condition called twin to twin transfusion syndrome. And they were actually saved by doing in utero surgery. That particular syndrome uh, Unfortunately, it takes the lives of more babies per year than SIDS. Um, they're going to be perfectly healthy and normal and, and wonderful. And they're um, going to be seniors at USC in California um, this uh, coming fall. And uh, they're turning 20 in a few weeks. So it's amazing that it's been 20 years. But from that, uh, my wife and I started a, a way to raise money and awareness that started kind of a path on the foundation side of that, which I know we're going to talk more about in a second. But on that um but what we actually do in my professional life is um i uh, run a production company where we produce mass endurance sports so marathons 5ks and stuff and i'm also a professional host and voiceover um for many different different things so kind of varied background uh, that i bring to the table but um definitely uh, a love of ours of my wife is is the foundation and the work that we do there there was definitely a need after going through what we what we went through of having a place for families to be able to find information and and looking forward to talking more about it of course thank you so much for sharing um for our audience members could you please briefly go into what fetal syndrome means yeah, and I'm, I'm really glad that you asked that because I think sometimes uh, just because of the name of our organization and any time that you talk about a fetus, um, people tend to not understand what that means when there's something going on with a fetus. Um, they don't realize that sometimes there can be a fetus can be sick. Um, there can be anomalies that happen. And I'll talk a little bit about what some of those are. But I think first I want to be able to get out to your audience is that the this isn't something that deals with pro-life or pro-choice this isn't something political this isn't something of uh bringing in any religious connotations what a fetal syndrome is and when we and the reason i again i bring this kind of mention up is sometimes when you say fetus people or unborn baby people start to get into these different connotations and and uh, thoughts around it um, unfortunately, um, you know, sometimes it is rare, but unfortunately, sometimes something develops during pregnancy and there are many, many different conditions. I think some people have heard of spina bifida as an example of a fetal syndrome. Spina bifida is what we call a neurotube defect. Um, and it's where 
Um, the spinal column, the skin doesn't really close over it all the way on the back. Uh, they're not really sure why it happens, um, but it does. It is a rare thing. It's probably one of the more common things that people have heard of um, internationally, at least, um, of something that gets brought up every now and then in news periodicals and stories. And that opening, because amniotic fluid uh, is very important, but amniotic fluid can really cause damage to the spinal cord. And so sometimes these babies are not, sometimes these babies are born with morbidity or, or mortality facing issues and stuff. That's an example of one. What my wife and I went through was something called twin to twin transfusion syndrome. Um, you know, the, the, it affects identical twins, identical twins, um, typically during the, um, uh, uh gestation period early on in the pregnancy when the egg is developing and fertilization takes place, the egg splits um, and obviously creating identicals, but depending on when it does that, about 80% of the time, the, uh, the, the uh, twins share a placenta. And when you think that they share a placenta, you can think that they are sharing a kind of a circulatory system through that. And so twin to twin is a situation where one baby in about 30% of cases gets a disproportionate amount of blood nutrients versus the other. Um, people may wonder why that's dangerous, but it can be dangerous because one baby is getting two or three times the blood volume, their body's developing, they can't handle that, and it's very stressful in the body, and they can succumb to that. The one that isn't getting very much obviously can succumb because they're not getting any blood and nutrients thus far and be able to grow. Um, those are a couple examples of that, but there's many things. There's hypoplastic life left heart syndrome. There's uh, congenital diaphragmic hernia. There's a lot of things that we call high drops. High drops is kind of a, uh, a situation where fluid builds up in the body. It can be um, uh, reasons that we don't understand why it happens, but there can also be reasons that it's from a particular syndromatic issue. Um, sometimes babies have teratomas that grow on them, which can be a type of tumor. Um, another one is amniotic band syndrome, which is the amniotic sac is kind of engineeringly, <laughs> engineering wise, um, we can geek out a little bit about it. It's kind of this amazing structure. It's this, a very thin membrane that is very tough, but it's also very fibrous. And sometimes occasionally a fiber can come off almost like a rubber band and it can wrap around a baby. So um, it, if it wraps around a limb, that limb can't grow. So sometimes you see babies that are born without a limb. Obviously, if it gets into a vital area around their chest or head, um, baby can't survive because essentially is is cutting off <laughs> the ability for them. So there are ways of intervention to be able to do these things. But anyway, um, that was probably a lot going into these different things, but there's many, many different things. You know, the good news is we have that 95% of all pregnancies go completely fine. But, you know, we have a big population in the world too. So um, Fetal anomalies affect around 800,000 babies just in the United States, which is a large number. Again, it's a small percentage of how many babies were born. And a lot of these things, too, are very minor things. Sometimes there are things like gestational diabetes, which we don't necessarily think of a fetal syndrome. It's something that the mom is dealing with, but it can have implications on the fetus. That is very important to think like that. So when we look at fetal syndrome, we really look at anything that can affect the pregnancy, that can affect the baby um, during pregnancy. Oh, thank you for all that information. It really helped inform me and I imagine the audience as well. Um, I was wondering, what is your rare disease, um, yeah, rare disorder organization about and what does it do? When my wife and I personally went through this, it was uh, a roller coaster ride. Um, we had, we were diagnosed, we were given very little hope that our girls would live. Um, we were given options that didn't seem like options to us. 
we were given very little hope. This was 20 years ago. So we were fortunate enough that we um, were able to have the means to find a doctor that was a father of fetal, one of the fathers of fetal surgery that had worked on a treatment intervention for what we went through. But this was very tough. It ripped our lives very quickly. You know, we were we were first time parents and we were excited about having uh, twins and I was going to have two daddy's girls and and all things that come along with it. And when you're in that stage and you're very, you know, excited about a pregnancy and you're excited about becoming a family or growing your family, um, you have all your dreams and and all these memories that you're starting to think about what they're going to be made from. Um, and what I mean by that is, you know, you think about, uh, gosh, you know, you look to that first you know, first smile and the first walk and the first, you know, word that they make and the first day of school and all those things that are memories that you want to build as a family. And when you get that diagnosis, it gets ripped away from you because you don't know what the outcome is going to be. You haven't even, you know, held your baby. You haven't even held, you haven't even met them yet. And uh, it's a very emotional roller coaster because a lot of times things happen very quickly. You get diagnosed. Um, if there is some type of treatment systems available, where do you go? There's not the uh, fetal centers that can treat these type of conditions and you're in every major city or even, you know, outlying cities. Um, sometimes you have to travel. Um, can you financially be able to handle, do these type of things to afford to take time off work? A lot goes into it out that and just the awareness of it too. So our organization is really there to be support and awareness first and foremost when a family is diagnosed and we help them with just like anytime you get a diagnosis of something, it, you know, you keep uh, 75% of what you hear, you don't really retain because you're in shock of the diagnosis. Um, so we're there to help families and help understand, help them understand in, in lay terms what's happening because it can get very clinical um, and be the guide, a guide there for them and a support mechanism for them. Um, that's kind of the, the patient side of it. We also work on the medical side of it, which is also we work very heavily on informing medical providers that there are options out there. Uh, your general uh, obstetrician may only come in contact with these a few times and in, in, uh, during their entire career, even though it can be very numerous um, when we look at numbers that happen. But for them, it may happen less than a dozen times and there can be a dozen different situations. So they're not going to be experts in these. And a lot of times they're not even aware of the resources that are available to them and their patients for potential treatment options. So we're there to educate them and be a resource for them. We're also there doing uh, amazing research to help further treatment outcomes, um, looking at how we educate uh, uh, those in fetal medicine so that they can be brought up to higher, uh, brought up in fetal medicine because it's a kind of a new, you know, it's been around for uh, several decades, but it's still kind of a growing area. A lot of those going into medicine aren't even aware that this is an option that they can get into. So we, we work in all those areas, but first and foremost, again, it's really being that support mechanism for families going through it um, and having the most factual information on our website. That's a key thing. In today's age, 20 years ago, I only had to worry about the internet. <laughs> now we've got Google and, so, and social media and everyone's got groups and all these things. And so as, as much information is readily available at our fingertips, really hard to understand what is credible and what isn't. And we want to make sure that people can rely on us as credible factual information to support what they're going through. Um, when you were mentioning the medical side of it, I was wondering what sorts of treatments are common 
when it's found that there's an issue with the fetus? Mm -hmm. That's a really good question. Um, with fetal medicine, it's you, you really have two patients. You have the baby and you have the mom. Um, and the a lot of these, it's always taking into account. You never want to have to do a fetal intervention or surgery, especially um, if unless it's a last resort. Um, but that's in, and you want to make sure that the outcomes and the risks associated are the risks are very low, and the outcomes are going to be worth it uh, from those type of things. And it is quite amazing what they can do uh, fetal intervention wise. Um, let's take spina bifida as an example, since we talked a little bit about that already. There are constantly developing new technologies and, and therapies being done. Uh, the first thing is, is that just, you know, anytime you have a, a doctor that does a lot of operations, the first thing is how can we fix it surgically? And they can actually do this. It's a, it's a little bit higher risk procedure, but essentially that's, uh, you think about this, they actually almost deliver the baby. <laughs> Uh, by C-section, uh, but they don't cut the umbilical cord. They keep baby in there. And it's usually pretty, you know, it can be around anywhere from like 24 to 30 week gestation. Um, and then they basically sew up that opening um, and then put baby back in. Um, the support, life support system is mom. Um, and so sometimes we call those the babies born twice. <laughs> they're, they're born for a surgical procedure. They're very, barely removed out of the uterus just to expose the area. They sew it up. But that has really advanced because now they can do minimally invasive, which is better. They we call them otoscopy surgery, which is very tiny scopes that are used to go with a small little puncture in the abdomen of the mom. Um, it goes into the womb and they're doing everything under, you know, high powered cameras and ultrasound to do these repairs. It's trickier. Um, and then it's even moving into where some of these treatments now are. Uh, we work with we've done some um, help and research with uh, UC Davis in California, where they've actually been able to use stem cells. Uh, and it took a lot of different trial and error of different types of stem cells. Um, these are not, um, uh, and when I say stem cells, stem cells can get a little bit controversial too, um, but these are not anything that is, uh, and I you have to forgive me, I can't remember the exact name of the type of stem cell where it comes from, but it isn't something that's controversial. It's not used from, um, uh, demise fetuses as an example. And, um, but they're able to do that and actually just kind of go in with a very small needle and put this, the stem cells around the area and it actually seals up and heals the area. Um, so these are all things that are developing uh, for us with what we went through Medea and with twin to twin, actually go in with, with tiny scopes. And since they share a placenta, their circulatory systems are linked. So there's some vessels that they share and they go in and they, they um, essentially map out the placenta and find those and they use a laser to seal them off. And then the hope is that each one has enough placental share um, that they can grow and thrive and overcome any of the, the uh, situations, the adverse situations that the syndrome might've caused them. But essentially they're, they're able to kind of separate their fates. Um, and that's pretty amazing. And now, you know, 20 years ago, it was about a 50, we had about a 50% chance of having one survivor um, and you know, even less than having two survivors. Now, here we are in 2023 uh, with the early detection and getting in there and doing this. If it's warranted to do the fetal intervention, we have as high as, you know, almost 90% success rate of having two survivors. It's huge um, now as how things have come along. But there's a lot of, um, you know, there's so many different, so many different types of treatments. Sometimes the therapies are 
uh, can be sometimes a what we call expectant management. Um, that can seem scary, especially if anybody listening to this is going through that or finds themselves in the future going through that, because I think we all have the feeling that we want to get something done. We want to take care of the problem. Expectant management is where you essentially can't really, you want to get the baby or babies far enough along to deliver them at a viable age, um, but before any further adverse effects take place. Because there really sometimes are some cases where we just can't do something in the womb or it's not safe to do that. So then it's managing that pregnancy um, with usually sometimes, some case, sometimes occasionally a mom could be hospitalized for the entire rest of the day. The, that and then when they decide to deliver, they deliver. Sometimes it can be they're coming in weekly to monitor the situation. Um, and uh, uh, that's when I look at expectant management, it is um, not necessarily a bad place to be. It can be a really good place to be because you're not required to have a surgical intervention, but you have the care of the doctors uh, and the medical professionals um, all there watching you um, to find that right time to deliver. And babies are truly amazing, Medea. Um, the, despite the fact of all the stuff, we think they're very fragile. It, it seems a very, um, they're developing in that, but they are very strong and resilient. I know just in our own story with two weeks in the NICU, uh, it seemed like a very scary situation. Um, and they seemed so fragile. My, my daughters were barely 16 inches long and three and a half and four and a half pounds, uh, respectively. And, um, they were so tiny, <laughs> uh, but they were so super strong. Uh, it was quite amazing. Yeah, they truly are amazing. Um, I was wondering, are these syndromes genetic or is it more than just that? Could it be environmental? We don't really have any information on, on environmental from the standpoint of any type of, of pollutions or things that can cause things. I mean, certainly there can be um, uh, exposure to things that can cause uh, some deformity type things and stuff like that. But in general, um, not now environmental um, you know, it, is there, um, it's really hard to know the answer and truly on, on complete environmental aspects of things, um, and genetic yet, sometimes there can be some genetic things going on, um, uh, or a genetic mutation or something that happened during pregnancy, but it isn't usually, um, the, the, it isn't usually attributed to mom or dad. Um, I mean, certainly there can be some, there is a subsection that there can be a genetic predisposure to a certain type of. Um, situation like there's sometimes we, it's um, called a few different names. We call it kind of RH disease. And it's essentially that um, mom's blood is incompatible with baby's blood. And in that case, it creates an antibody situation where mom's blood is kind of essentially attacking baby's blood. And that's a dangerous situation. And, and actually it can be easily managed. It's an actually very easy managed uh, situation when it's discovered. Um, but, you know, that can be a genetic situation exposed to the type of blood um, that, but most of the time it isn't genetic. And I think it's really important too with this too, is that, um, you know, we, we don't un have an understand why these things happen. Um, uh, we, we know, for example, like spina bifida example, a lot of times that can be related to not genetic, but it can be related to making sure that you're healthy, making sure that you're taking all your prenatal vitamins. Um, a folic acid is very heavily used in pregnancy. It's used in pregnancy because it can reduce what we call neurotube defects, which include spina bifida by 90% or more. Um, so just that little folic acid, <laughs> fortamin, uh, you know, fortamin, uh, fortamin uh, with a nutrition or nutritionally can make a huge difference. And so, um, uh, but then, you know, that doesn't mean it's going to prevent it all the time. And again, a lot of these things are rare. 
I think the most important thing I want to get to the listeners and to you is that it's not mom's fault. It's very easy when you have a pregnancy situation feeling like you did something wrong or did I drink enough water? Did I eat enough protein? Did I eat the wrong things? That's never the case. Now, certainly diet um, is important, um, you know, and, and having being healthy yourself is important. The healthier you are, the healthier baby or babies that you will have. Um, but again, uh, and I know that was probably a lot more answer on the genetic side of it, but we don't find that most of these are related to you um, uh, in a majority fashion of being something genetic or environmental. Unfortunately, we just don't know why some of these things happen. Thank you for sharing that. <clears throat> so I was wondering, what are some accomplishments the organization has made in terms of fetal syndromes? Yeah, I think, you know, on the one side, it's really getting the awareness and being a support mechanism. And, and not only in the United States, where we're based out of, but worldwide. Uh, we see developing countries uh, where uh, the, the healthcare professionals are uh, not quite, I mean, well, we even sometimes have a situation in, in even developed countries, but in developing countries, we may not have the medical resources. Uh, we've been uh, instrumental, I think, in being able to support the, the medical teams when a family is going through that, what's connecting them with our medical experts here in the United States and um, also other, other developed countries like the UK and Canada and Australia and New Zealand and places like that, um, that can offer support to these doctors um, to help them understand what's going on and try to help them have, uh, work with them to have a successful outcome for their patients. Um, but I think the, and then the other thing on that is the awareness, helping families and being that support mechanism, but also the research area um, has been truly remarkable. Um, despite my my background that you see, Medea, uh, you know, this is a virtual background. I We work out of our, our foundation is, doesn't have a, a big location. We're basically housed out of uh, um, our uh, my home. Um, we have a great group of, of medical board members um, from around the country that work with us. But what I'm really proud about is a lot of these centers do research um, and we've been able to help fund these research areas and nothing to take away with major diseases such as cancers and other things that are funded. But a lot of those fundings are millions and millions and millions of dollars. It takes millions and millions and millions of dollars to do the research. I wish we had more millions and millions of dollars in fetal research because we'd be able to move things so much faster. But um, what some of these centers are doing on really no money at all is incredible. Um, uh, we're a small organization, so sometimes our grants and our fund research grants are can be anywhere from five thousand dollars to you know fifty thousand dollars, which fifty thousand dollars is a good amount of money. But in research, that can sometimes barely turn on the lights, um, and some of the research that we have done that we have funded, I think one I find um, um, that I'm thinking about is um, this was uh, a facility in the East Coast uh, where, you know, they're, they were looking at um, ways to use ultrasound technology. Ultrasound technology creates 2D images. Um, and so if they're looking at baby, everything's 2D. And in order for ultrasound to work really well, it needs to be able to have fluid around the baby and see fluid and so forth. Um, and, but ultrasound is a very cheap technology to use. It's very inexpensive to use. Whereas MRI is very expensive to use. A lot of times with fetal situations going on, an MRI is preferred so they can really get a good picture of everything that's going on, but it's very expensive. It's uncomfortable for a mom to be in it, <laughs> really getting an MRI pregnant. Um, so we were able to fund a research project where 
they were able to look and turn ultrasound images into 3D, almost MRI-style images. And then they, what that allowed them to do is actually print 3D models of a baby so that they could actually then, you know, be able to 3D. Now, obviously, we can almost do it in today's world. We can do it all digitally, but they could actually even do a 3D printing of this. And we have seen this group use, again, going back to spina bifida when they're doing a, a repair um, to be able to take a 2D image, turn that into a 3D image and actually see before they ever do the surgery, um, see a 3D printed image of the baby and the anomaly or the open wound, if you will, if you think of that with spina bifida and be able to almost practice surgically on how they're going to repair that before they even go into the womb. Because the goal is when you're doing any type, I mean, really, truly any type of surgery, you always want to be in and out as fast as possible, um, but especially with fetal surgery. You don't want to have baby exposed out of the womb um, or even minimally invasive. You don't want to be in there long at all. So the fact that they could do that and stuff, and that technology has been able to be uh, grow in other areas. Another area that we've been researching a lot um, is in uh, when I mentioned hydrops earlier, which is the build of a fluid uh, in the baby. And the reason that's dangerous is if you get fluid built up in different areas, uh, you think about the lungs are developing and you got fluid in the chest cavity, the lungs can't develop. There's no room for them to grow. Um, and obviously you have to be able to breathe. So um, um, we've been doing a lot of funding in that area of looking at potentially um, one is understanding it and looking at the genome of, of hydrops and looking at what might be some of these causes of it um, and ways that we can, different therapies that can use it. And sometimes even looking at um, medications to be able to somehow create that or is there a way to relieve to get that fluid out of the baby and things like that. So there's been a lot of research going into that because hydrops is one of those things that it can happen um, because of something going on. And there's other reasons we call it idiopathic, which means we don't know why it happens, um, but it can be obviously very dangerous for baby. And being able to understand that so much more uh, is been a huge accomplishment of that. And so we're, we're very proud of the research that we continue to do. Um, and one other area, uh, and I'm very verbose, so I apologize, but it's very exciting for me is um, in fetal health, we have something called, uh, with our foundation, we have something called the um, uh, Think Tank. And it is a, uh, a consortium of all kinds of different stakeholders and experts in fetal medicine. Um, and we uh, have uh, different areas that we work in, but one is research. And one is that we look at um, what are some of the challenges that we have with fetal intervention? One of those that we hit when we, we identify these and then we look at how do we solve it. And one of these is that whenever you're doing a fetal intervention, whether it's minimally invasive with a photoscopy scope, a small scope going again through the woman, mom's womb, um, abdomen area and uterus um, to those that might be open fetal surgery, we're obviously opening up or putting a hole in the amniotic sac. And I told you the amniotic sac is this amazing thing. It's very resilient and and a lot of times it seals up and there's not a problem, but it does tend to weaken it. And there is a higher incidence or chance for what we call premature rupture of membranes. Membrane ruptures and there's no fluid around baby. And that can be a very challenging situation at that point. Um, and um, it's it does increase the risk. It doesn't increase it so much so that it's a concern, but it is does increase the risk of that happening when we do a fetal intervention. So, um, Knowing that, we brought in experts, not only in fetal medicine, but we worked in experts in medical um, research areas, such as 3M, 
you know, 3M, we all know with post-it notes and stuff like that, but they do a lot of medical research on looking at different um, adhesives that they use for, you know, wounds on the body and internal ways to, instead of using stitches and things like that. So they do a lot of research there. We actually brought in um, an, an army medical specialist from the U.S. Army because they have to do field medicine. Um, and a lot of times they have to get in and out stuff. So we're looking at ways that they're doing things too. We're bringing a lot of different disciplines into fetal medicine with the hope that, and this is what's exciting about it, is the hope that then maybe we can come up with a solution to this of something that's already being done, or maybe we can work together to do that. But then what we see is an impact, not only in fetal medicine, but it can be used in other medicine areas. If, for example, we can figure out a way to uh, create a situation um, to increase or decrease the risk of a rupture of membrane in mom by something that 3M helps us develop with some type of liquiditous patch, if you will, that can go and make the amniotic sac stronger where it was entered in at, um, can that then be used for field medicine and they, with the army, because if they have a, something that happens on the battlefield and they have, you know, they can't obviously do surgery right on the battlefield and so forth, but if something happens to a soldier, um, can they do something to stop a situation internally, like internal bleeding or something like that with this type of um, uh, biotechnology truly and stuff. Um, and I'm excited about that. I'm excited for, obviously for fetal medicine, but I'm excited to see um, that these different disciplines are coming together to try to look at ways to solve a problem that we have in fetal medicine, but then that might be able to be used in other areas. Thank you for all that. It's very um, reassuring to hear that there's a lot of research going into fetal medicine and improving the treatments and better understanding the syndromes. Um, so I was wondering, how can the community help like, get involved maybe volunteering or interning for your organization? Yeah, definitely. Um, volunteering, we, we have uh, a few different fundraising events that we do throughout the year. Uh, um, so that, and if you're local, um, we're based out of uh, Colorado, Denver, Colorado area. So if you're in that area and you want to volunteer for any of our in-person events, that's great. We do have um, different things that will be coming up. So looking at our website is a great way to do that. Um, if you're interested in starting something because you've experienced this or you want to help support that, um, if you're interested in starting a way to do fundraising or you want to donate, that's a great way to do that. And then interning. I'm so glad you brought that up. We have a lot of work to do and we were at this moment do not actually have paid staff in our organization, um, which is some people say that's admirable. So all the money's going there, but you need to have people that can focus on this um, full time. And we're getting very close to that with some things come opening in the future. But um, having interns, people that uh, anyone that would be interested in interning to assist us in various areas from the way that we're doing outreach to the ways that we're updating our website. If you think, as uh, described to you in the beginning, there's a lot of different fetal syndromes. There's a lot of updating that we're constantly doing to our website to ensure that we're always providing the, the most factual information as possible. So um, but easiest way is reach out. I'm always accessible. If you're interested in learning more or being involved some way, um, there's always a home here. Um, sometimes families who have gone through a fetal syndrome want to be able to support other families just to be a shoulder. Um, you know, yes, I get that. I had the same feelings. It was frustrating. It was difficult. It's a very difficult, uh, and, and when anything happens, obviously with anybody's lives of a disease coming into it, um, it can be very difficult, but this can feel very isolating because again, we kind of feel a little, we, we, end up treating fetal anomalies a bit taboo, <laughs> uh, unfortunately. And um, families who can support other families when they're going through that to be there, because I know for us, when we were going through it, our family 
some of our family understood of it, stood it about it. Some of them didn't. And it was really hard for us. And I think my wife and I both handled the situation differently. Um, uh, and how we felt about it. We were both very stressed. We were both very upset. We were both very sad, scared, afraid. Um, and our emotions were heightened. And at the same time, we're also trying to support each other, which can be very difficult to do. So it can be reassuring to know that you have somebody who's been in, who, who's gone through it that can understand everything that you're going through and not judge you. Yeah, that's very true. And I was wondering, what's the website called that the audience can use? Yeah. To get more. Yeah. Exactly. Our, our main website is uh, fetalhealthfoundation.org. Um, or you can also do fetalhope.org. Both go to the exact same area. Okay. Thank you very much. Is there anything more you would like to tell the listeners? Um, just thank you so much for this opportunity, Medea. I really appreciate it because it's so important to get awareness and information out about fetal syndromatic issues that take place. Um, you know, it's whenever I do talks, um, either such as this or in person, um, I always am amazed at how many will come people come up to me afterwards and say, you know, I, I went through something and um, I lost a baby and it was you know said it was a fetal demise or miscarriage but i've never really never told anybody and the more awareness that we can get out about these things the more that we can move um move things in the right uh, area so uh, i you know tell your listener uh, to say it's more to the listeners is you know thank you for enduring all my verboseness in this i'm very passionate and excited about um, all that we're able to do and accomplish and support families but more importantly is is for listeners who may find themselves in this situation in the future is know that there is always hope there is always uh, organizations like ours to be there to help you. And at the end of the day, um, you know, I, I wish that every time we worked with a family that everything came out 100% successfully. You know, there is unfortunately loss that happens um, and we're there for you with all situations. And we, the biggest thing I think I want to leave everybody with is the Fetal Health Foundation is about arming families with information and medical professionals too with all the factual information so they can make the best choices for them um, in their current situation. We want no family or no medical professional to ever come and say, had I only known, if. We want to get rid of the ifs. We want to give them all the medical information that they need uh, and the support that they need to make the best decision that's right for them. Yes, that's very true. Thank you for sharing this important information with us and just have a very nice day and yeah. Yes, well, thank you very much. Again, it was an honor.